Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. I got a big heart. And I'm very forgiving, but like, don't abuse it. It's been abused enough. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Pitbull. I think that education is the real revolution because as much as we speak about all the problems that there is in society and the world today, my mother's always told me, son, don't worry. The world's always been coming to an end. Don't let it scare you out of living. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, part two of our Black Mental Health episode. I am your host, Ramses Ja. Today's guest is Yolo Akili Robinson, an award-winning writer, healer, justice worker, yogi, and the founder and executive director of Beam. So what are some of the things we can do to address mental health issues in our daily lives? Yeah, well, that's a great question. So I'm going to start with self, right? So like ourselves, right? So because I'm only able to support folks but to the extent to which my well is full, to the extent to which I'm regulated and supported and grounded, right? Mm-hmm. So there are a couple of things that I often invite people to think about when it comes to helping learning to regulate yourself and ground yourself in your own kind of practice. The first thing I tell people is develop a routine that keeps you grounded and centered. So for example, a routine could be, I wake up in the morning, if you're a Christian, maybe you open up a Bible verse and you pray and you and you say your prayers and your intentions for that day, right? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you're intentional about the same time that you eat every day because eating is a big part of mental health. We will tell you that many mental health quote unquote conditions can be mimicked by someone who has who's eating this um, not regularly or who's, or who's not eating at all, right? We see this a lot in children who um, in schools will display symptoms of ADHD and then the social workers or therapists will find out, wait, this child has not been eating. Right. And so we, so we, so it's really important. So thinking about simple things, developing a routine can be powerful for anyone, even if you, for, particularly for people living with serious, serious mental illness, if you have bipolar or um, schizophrenia, routine is important, but routine is important for all of us. Develop that regular practice that helps ground you. It could be taking a walk in the morning. It could be reading a Quran. It could be, you know, pulling your tarot card, whatever your practice is, develop a practice that helps you stop, pause, and be present with your body and your breath whatever that looks like. You might not want to do a downward dog, take a walk in your mm-hmm. neighborhood. You might not, you might, you might go to the gym, find a regular practice and do it consistently. Think about how, and, and think about your meals. How are you eating consistently? How are you, as Monique says, one of my favorite comedians, she says, keeping something green on your plate to regulate yourself. How do you do those pieces? How are you checking in what's going on within you? You know, ask like our self-talk is so critical. 
Sometimes I said we are our biggest haters, right? And so I think about like really checking in with our self-talk. How do I talk to myself in my head? Am I checking in with what's, what I'm feeling? Because what are my feelings and what is my body trying to tell me about what I need right now in my life? If my shoulders are tight, they're telling me something. If I'm feeling heated in my chest, that's telling me something. Our bodies are telling us something. So like as a part of your routine, check in, right? Check in with other folks too. So like I start with the self, those are some practices you can do. Figure out what you need to have for your regular practices that help you feel grounded and rooted and regulated. It'll be different for everybody. Some people color, some people go to the gym, some people work out, they meditate, they pray. Find that practice engaging it. You might need to have medication. You might need a therapist. You might need, um, you know, your Reiki coach. You might need your priest. Whatever that is, find that practice and honor it and make it consistent. Once you've had that place where you kind of can feel your well, the things that we can do to support other folks are really important too. So one, it's always knowing our capacity and knowing our limitations. Um, we have a whole model that we actually train people on. We, it's called LAPIS. And it's listen, affirm, partner, initiate care, seek support, right? When we talk about supporting our communities, we're not asking people to be therapists. Everybody can be a therapist. We're not asking you to go in today and be like, tell me about what happened when you were six. No, that's not what we're asking you to do. We're asking you to, one, be mindful of what the people around you are navigating, the people you care about in your community are navigating, by starting by listening, right? Listening to what you're seeing in their behavior. Listening to see, are they a harm to themselves or to others? Um, listening to your own how your own body responds to them. Starting with listening is so powerful because we as in Black communities, we're taught to preach first. Somebody comes to you and tells you they're going through something, you start preaching, like, let me tell you about what I've been through. I went through that in 96. Like, hold on, boo. Start with listening and affirming, right? Affirming what people have been through. That can be such a powerful practice because so many of us in our communities, whether it's depression, anxiety, whatever we're going through, don't have somebody listen and affirm and say, I hear you. I see you. I'm not listening to fix you. I'm not listening to dominate the conversation. I'm listening to understand and listening to support, right? Understanding that that doesn't mean that you have all the answers. It doesn't mean you know all the answers. It's about listening to understand. And then we, so we start listening to understand. We affirm your experience. And then we go to partnering. How can I partner with you? What capacity do I have to support you in whatever you need? Like if my friend, my best friend is living with depression, I might not have the capacity to go to doctor's appointments with them every time. But guess what? I can come out there. You said to take taking walks and playing video games makes you feel good. I'm going to take a walk with you once a week. I'm going to play video games with you and I'm going to check in on you. Right? right. You know, or maybe another friend is like, hey, um, it would just help me if you just remind me about my medication. I just need some help to remember to take my meds. Oh, bet. I can do that for you. I can text you. Listening, affirming, and partnering with folks and figuring out what they need, as opposed to going and trying to be a superhero, trying to give them a whole bunch of phone numbers, that just overwhelms a lot of people. Yeah. Listen, affirm, and partner with them and see, what can I do? And sometimes it might be just listen. Sometimes it might be just sit with me, right? Sometimes it might be help me find options for care. We got to, this is about village care, right? So we got to, yeah. so, so Ramsey Jai, you call me and you're like, YOLO, I don't know what to do. I know I need help and support. I'm like, well, let's figure it out together. You know what I mean? We're going, what, what do you think about this person that's there? It's like, nah, she looked funny. Okay, not her, not her. We're going to figure it out. We're going to work to together, put a part, right? And then also just making a plan, um, a care plan for our folks, particularly folks who have serious conditions. Yeah. to support them in the meantime if we can't get them in the care. And we already do this in Black communities. Like, yeah. I, I always tell people all the time, like, what I'm telling people to do, people are like, oh, this, this is new. Like, no, this isn't. 
think about how many times in our communities we have elders in our communities who we know they have, okay, somebody's going to go over there Sunday and make sure she take her shot for her insulin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Somebody going to go over there, take her to church on Tuesday. I'm going to sit on there with them, make sure she's good. We already have that tradition. We just need to apply that to all conditions, not just diabetes. We need to look at mental health in the same way. Right. Okay, so-and-so is depressed. We still need to go check in on them. Let's go sit with them. Like, you know what I mean? Let's invite them out of church. If you don't come, okay, we're just going to go over there Sunday and take a plate, right? These are things we can do to build a plan and, until we can get somebody in care. Or sometimes we're not, we're not able to get people in care too because people won't consent to care, which is a very real thing in our communities, right? So I always tell people just build a wraparound system. We can't force people to go into mental health care. But build a wraparound system where everybody um, has a small part they do so no one's overwhelmed. But they can sustain that to support that person in wherever they are on their journey. We all need that. We all need that at times. You know, we've all had the broken leg, a limb, and we like we need help. You know what I mean? So building a community system is what's really powerful for mental health and all health, you know. You know, it's funny, uh, building that wraparound system. I, it reminds me of a time in my life. My my grandmother was was sick and she wouldn't consent to going to a doctor. She just that wasn't her way. And so we, as a family, we had to put together a plan to where she would never be alone in the hospital. So 24 hours a day, seven days a week, day in and day out, she had one of her grandbabies or one of her actual children sitting in that hospital with her. We never left. We never took breaks. She was never alone. And so I do um, appreciate you saying that, that we as a community, we do have that tradition of taking care of each other. But now we're kind of leaning into a really... um, uh, starting to understand the mental um, aspect of it as well and how profound that can be. And there was another point that you made too, um, as you were saying it, I feel like it's important to mention this. You were talking about places that we hold tension in our body. And I got to thinking about that, you know, here talking to you, I got to thinking about it. And I realized that I had my shoulders up a little higher than they needed to be. And it didn't hurt me. It didn't, I didn't notice it until I went through and examined, am I holding tension anywhere in my body? And then I tried my best to relax and I noticed my, my shoulders kind of dropped about an inch or so. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute, that's better. I didn't know that I had, you know, the tension there, but now that I've released the tension, I'm like, oh, this is a much better, more comfortable position to, to sit in and have this conversation with you. So a couple of points I appreciate there. Now there's another uh, component to this. Um, You know, many people uh, of course are starting to realize that being strong doesn't mean being silent or trying to handle everything on your own. Uh, how can we as black and brown people continue to remove the stigma around seeking therapy for mental and emotional support? Um, you know, there's, it, it seems to still be a very private thing. I know that there's some folks, certainly you're uh, one of the folks leading the way there. Charlemagne, of course, has, has spoken about this quite a bit. Charlemagne the God, um, uh, a big radio personality for those who are not familiar. Um, but again, how can we, in our, on the community level and in our, our social circles, how can we continue to remove the stigma around seeking therapy for a mental and emotional support? Yeah, great question. So the first piece is we have to model what we say we want to see in the world, right? Mm. So that means that if I'm trying to destigmatize getting access to care, whether that care is going to yoga or to the doctor or to a psychiatrist or a therapist, then I need to put that into practice mm-hmm. and share about my practice, right? Which is a powerful way. Like I often use the, the example of when I became a vegetarian and I was really concerned about my family's eating, 
I didn't go back home and be like, y'all need to stop eating pork. I didn't do that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I decided, I said, you know what? I went home and I started cooking my dishes that I eat and mm-hmm. sharing them. And over time, my mom and dad was like, oh, what's that? Hmm, that's interesting how you make your greens. Okay. So they started seeing me doing it and they started incorporating the parts that they wanted to into their own diets. And mm-hmm. so now my mom and dad will call me like, yeah, we made them greens without the pork in them. They was pretty good. You know, they're all right. <laughs> right? It's the same thing yeah. with our wellness care, right? When our folks see us, hey, you know, I, I take a walk every day. Like, I love how you take a walk. You know, I'm going to start doing that, too, because that helped me feel better. Oh, you know, yeah, I, I went to a therapist and he was like, wow, I never I never heard nobody talk about that. Maybe I need to talk to somebody. Right. We start modeling the behavior and showing people um, that it's possible, but also giving them permission to move through the shame and the silence and to actually engage. it. Right. That's one powerful practice. Talking about it, discussing what we're doing, letting them know that we're still figuring it out, too. Being honest about, yeah, I was scared about going to see a therapist. Oh, I was scared to go to the doctor. Being honest about it, but I moved, I got, I was courageous with my fear. I didn't let the fear control me. I still move forward to, with it. And it, it didn't, it wasn't that bad. You know what I mean? Like, so modeling it is a big part of how we destigmatize it, 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 it in so many ways. There's a lot of language we use a lot in our um, trainings about um, other ways to help destigmatize. Like, I always need to let people know when it comes to a therapist relationship, a therapist is a co-healer with you, right? Any kind of wellness person should be a co-healer with you. A yoga teacher, a whether you're going to Reiki, your pastor, whoever, they are a co-healer with you, which means you have to heal together. And that you're healing together, that means that you can also say, hey, this doesn't feel good sometimes. And, and you have the right and the authority to advocate for yourself and say, this doesn't feel good. I want to stop this. Or maybe this isn't the direction I want, right? Mm-hmm. Letting our people know that we have that right and that authority because historically, when it comes to the, the mental health, medical health, we felt like we were just at the whim of these folks. And sometimes, just like any other discipline, these folks don't always know what's going on with different dimensions of ourselves. So we have to like let people know we have to support people and being agents of their care, right? Like, you know, my doctors get irritated because they know here I come. I'm like, and they, they ask me questions. I'm like, you work for me. So this is what I need to see. And they're like, Lord, here this, here he come. Like, you know what I mean? They know it. Because I'm like clear. I don't, I've been, I've really been thoughtful about like I need to approach this as I approach anything else. Like, you know, if you went and got a haircut, you wouldn't be like, well, I'm gonna let he messed up my line. He didn't listen to me when I said this. No, you're gonna be like, no, bro, you need to fix my line. So it's the same thing you approach with that. You need to approach when you go to your therapist. Hey, actually, I want to talk about this. Or I'm a doctor. Actually, I want this test because I'm paying you. And this is what I would like to have. You know what I mean? And like, you know, like, so being advocates is really important and letting and supporting our folks and being advocates, whether it means we have to be that person there with our parents or our family members to be that person. Because I've gone to many sessions where somebody's like, I'm going to go therapy, but can you just sit outside the room? I'm like, okay. Or I've been pulled in therapy sessions where there's one, like a family member or friend is like, can you just sit in there with me and like be present? Sometimes that is helpful, mm-hmm. right? So those are some like simple things that we can really do to kind of begin to destigmatize it, to talk about it, to, um, and, sh- and, tra- and change what we think about a community. Last piece I think is important to uphold. Every community, Black, Brown, wherever, we've always had healing traditions. We, we, Black people are no stranger to mental health. Mental health has always existed in our communities. We had different language for it. We might say they got touched, they got the blues, whatever. We've always been talking about it. We ain't been saying, well, I think he has bipolar two diagnosis with potential. Like we, we don't talk like that necessarily, no, right? No. Right. You know, but we still been talking about the things we've been seeing, upholding and uplifting the really beautiful strategies we already have. Whether it's prayer circles, 
which which has been proven to release anxiety and distress. Mm-hmm. Whether it's, you know what I mean? Whether it's our music, which is also a coping strategy, whether it's our family reunions, which is an attempt to kind of build and connect community, right? And stay connected and alleviate that stress of what happens to black families, right? We have healing strategies. We always had that tarot card lady or that person who was a healer who had some herbs and putting a cup in your hood. Everybody got that. Every hood has one of those, right? Mm-hmm. So uplifting our strategies that we have, understanding that sometimes they have limitations. Every strategy has limitations, you know? But like understand that our strategies are still good. We just sometimes need to build them up and find different ones. I think those are things that we can do. Okay. Today's guest is Yolo Akili Robinson, an award-winning writer, healer, justice worker, yogi, and the founder and executive director of Beam. You know, it's it's funny because, you know, you mentioned uh, like yoga and and meditation and those sorts of things and you know i grew up in church like like jesus church heavy you know father was a minister his father was a minister that's that's where i come from and uh when i got a little older um i started to understand that meditating wasn't going against jesus i I grew up real traditional if it wasn't jesus if it didn't have jesus name on it then it then it wasn't in (laughs) jesus name right so you know i start going to um learn the discipline of meditating and you know i uh you know because there was you know this uh was more about me being a man you know um i ended up sharing on social media like you know hey i'm gonna go uh meditate you know and just learn how to do this and uh you know as you mentioned modeling behavior there were so many people that wanted to come and sit in because they they just needed somebody else to go first. And then um, just because you end up in those circles, I end up going to like yoga sessions and doing, you know, you mentioned Dowdmore Dog and Happy Baby and, you know, all those things. <laughs> and, you know, I'm not going to say that I'm the biggest, you know, yogi in the world, but I do now see the benefit of you know, the movement component of it and how it's connected to your, to your mind. And of course your body and the stresses and the places where you might hold anxiety and how their overall health benefits there. So, um, I appreciate the answer that, you know, modeling behavior certainly, um, allows for other folks to feel less, um, alone if they're kind of thinking about it. And I, I will never turn my back on Jesus. You know what I'm saying? But, but yeah, it was one of those things where I kind of had to really take a moment to understand what it was I was trying to do and why I was trying to do it. And once I did, as it turns out, everyone was was wanting to go with me. So I, again, I appreciate the uh, the response. I love there. that. I yeah. love that, and I and I appreciate you sharing the piece around like you know, with many Christian traditions in our communities, like you know, we're taught that that's not of the faith or that's mm-hmm. not of that tradition, and you know. I just always remind our folks that like Christianity is so expansive, even in our communities, whether you're Pentecostal, Baptist, there's so many colors and shades and expressions of Christianity, right? And that it's growing and changing. Like, let me tell you, the church that of, um, of my generation is not the church my great-grandmother would. Like, that's a different that's institution, bad. right? There are some similarities, of course, some continued threads, but the, but church, the church evolves and grows and expands. And so does the teachings, and so, so does people's understanding of the teachings of Christ. You know, like, so I think it's just so important to hold 
um, though the, the diversity of the church and the pop and the expansion of the, of the church as well, as well as um, uh, Christianity as a faith system. And then one thing I will tell you, when I first started doing meditation, for me, I didn't see it that different from the prayers that my grandmother made me do yeah, at no, night, no. right? Like, you know, it was just like, you know, just like focusing and being present with God is sometimes what my grandma would That's say, it. right? And so like, I didn't see it as something different. I think the way it's marketed looks different. So we're like, oh, that looks like, you know, it's like, you know, white women on couches. Like, where does that, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I know. But, um, but um, you know, in so many ways, prayer and meditation are so deeply connected to me. Absolutely. And and then, of course, the uh, the part about the um, the yoga, you know, there are not a lot of men that participated in the yoga classes that I went to, even less in the way of Black men. And there, again, there I found the, the why. I found the health benefits. Now, again, I admit that that wasn't the thing that I leaned into uh, the most, but if I had to go to a, if some, if someone was going and I wasn't, you know, busy, I'd be like, yeah, man, let's go. You know? And I, I'll, I'll pop in every so often, maybe a couple of times a year and just kind of get moving around. But um, I, I thought it was important to share that because, you know, you're, you're not wrong and you're not the only person with this perspective. I myself have actually been in those rooms and seen those benefits myself. So um, whenever I can affirm what it is you're saying, you know, I'll do that, do that. I love that. I want to add, I love what you brought into the space about Black men and yoga. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's so important. Like this is an organization called Black Boys Home. Um, you check it out on Instagram and also Walk Good LA, which um, literally gets like 200 plus Black people out in parks doing yoga, right? It's amazing, mm -hmm. right? But, um, you know, the thing that happens with many of us who've been raised as Black men, socialized as Black men is that we received this message really early on that we need to emotionally repress ourselves to be to be seen as authentic, to be seen as real, real. to repress ourselves and put minimal emotional output, right? Like, you know, like you got to be stoic and strong and those are the qualities of a man, right? Mm -hmm. That is literally killing so many Black men, mm -hmm. right? Holding on to that belief. Healing healing uh, healing work that needs to happen in black communities is that we need to expand the range of what we understand black men can be and are we need to like let black men understand that connecting with your emotions and feelings besides just being angry and horny that you have a whole range of feelings and those feelings are an important part of your development they do not make you less than they make you more full and more robust mm -hmm. and more uh, and more round right but we have a culture where that's not been taught and so and and because of that there are so many black men who are struggling from depression because I can't talk about it. Struggling is that I can't talk about it because if I don't want to be seen as weak, as less than. And that idea is literally killing Black men because we know at the same time we're holding these ideas about we can't talk about our feelings, our emotions, what we're going through. You're also dealing with racism mm -hmm. and, being, and, being, and being strip searched on streets and being disrespected and followed by police. So all this duress is happening and you're just... It's in, it's in your body, right, Ramsey Child? It's like you're holding it up. And so I think about sometimes when I see, like, you know, like brothers and they're just like tight, right? Just tight all the time. All that tension we're holding here and in our shoulders and in our back. All that pain, that sadness, frustration that we won't let release and flow, right? That contributes to how we show up with ourselves, but also how we show up with the people we love. And so a big part of healing for Black men, for Black masculinity, is really expanding the range, teaching our children that, hey, 
there is a time to be soft and, and, and sweet and there's a time to be hard and strong. You need to have the range to have all of that. Yeah. Right. Like, you know what I mean? You need to know the distinction. Not everything don't call, doesn't call for you to be powerful and domination. That's not, that's not, that's not, that's not to fit every scenario. Right. And so I think that um, I'm grateful for so many mental health advocates who are really beginning to talk about this and talk about masculinity as a more expansive concept. Because, you know, I know that like for many of like my father and many of my uncles, they'll talk to me about it and they'd be like, you know, we never talked about any of these things. We just went outside and fixed the car. You know what I mean? Or we went outside and had a drink. Yeah, you know you what I mean? Do. We didn't talk about the fact that I'm struggling because my wife is going through this. I'm struggling. I don't know what to do with this. I'm struggling because I want to be there for my kids, but I don't have any money. And because I don't have any way to process my shame around not having money, I just disappear because I think that my absence is better than dealing with the shame of my presence of not being able to economically support my family. Wow. And so creating spaces for black men to be able to like process Mm -hmm. and move through that is critical. It doesn't need to always be a therapist. Some of the best, the best um, work I've seen is sometimes just what I call it called peer groups, right? Yeah. Like I know, I know brothers who just get brothers together and like, hey, look, we're gonna come and have a barbecue. We're gonna talk. What's going on with you, man? Let's talk. Have a real conversation. Just process what's going on. It's critical. So that is just one piece I wanted to add in because you brought that in Ramsey's job. I think it's really important. And I hope anybody who's listening, who's raising boys, who is a man, a black man, um, who's in relationship and love black men, understands the importance of uh, that black men need to have access to the range of their humanity. Mm. Well said. Um, so, you know, there's another part of this too, you know, because there's a side of, and this side affects, I believe, um, younger black women, perhaps more than anyone else. So let's talk about the role that social media consumption plays in the emotional and mental wellness of black people. And of course, especially our Gen Z's and Gen X black folks. Yeah. Social media is a huge influence. Mm-hmm. Um, so many dimensions that like you send me, the minute you ask that question, I went in so many different directions we can take. One thing I think is important to name, and I don't know how old you are, Ramsey Ja, I'm 40, I'll be 41 this year. And I think the one piece I like to name that's important to note is that I grew up developmentally in a world where I was not able to get on my phone and compare myself to people across the world every single day. Physically, financially, I just didn't have that capacity. We, I ain't, we, we didn't have cell phones when I was in high school. Okay, yeah. no, I'm, 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 I'll be forty my next birthday, so I'm in there with okay. you. Okay, so we're in the same generation, right? Mm-hmm. We didn't have that, right? Now we have young folks who, at any given moment, are seeing um, the highlight reels of people's lives, mm-hmm. right? Like you know, wealth, success, money, and in this critical stage of development where there's all these insecurities, where you're still trying to figure out who you are, what you believe in, what your direction is, right? You're seeing these things that maybe make, that some people are, when they see them, interpret it as, I'm not enough. I'm not desirable enough because I don't look like that. I'm not good enough because I'm not, as, I don't have as much money. I'm less than, et cetera, right? And so, that's a large part of what's happening on social media for a lot of young people. And there've been a lot of studies that have shown and proven how sometimes some of those dimensions can be really unhealthy for folks, right? How much time you're spending comparing yourself to some fictional person or some, fic- some person's fictional representation of themselves sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. You know, people like, oh, I'm, I make $3 million. I'm like, girl, that's Airbnb. That ain't your house. That ain't your-. <laughs> like, you know, like all these things, right? <laughs> so 
social media is playing a critical, a really huge part in our development. I think also when we talk about the mental health of young people, you know, this has been, you know, talked about ad nauseum about the ways in which when we are murdered, when we are killed, and the ways in which those videos are circulated. Yeah. Um, the ways in which, when I think about for black trans women, when black trans women are killed and ridiculed, how those video, videos are circulated. Um, when I think about how black men are killed, about all these different dimensions and how what that conveys, what that triggers and activates in our brain, right? Our stress response, like, you know, like this, like constantly over and over again. So it plays a big role. Now, I will say that like social media also can be a great tool for connecting right you know there can be an opportunity there are so many examples where social media has really um brought people together whether in laughter on black twitter and joking like or whether in liberation and, and sharing experience and think about the me too movement this radical space where all these women were able to say yes i have experience happening to me too and i thought it was by myself so it can be very healing and connecting for folks as well right mm. um it's all about the medium and how it's used and how we orchestrate it but um I think for all of us, it's an important thing to do is to engage, what's my relationship with social media? Am I just scrolling out of anxiety? Or do I need to just stop and be present, right? Why am, what, who am I following? Are the people that I'm following making me feel less than, are not good about myself? Or are they helping me feel more centered in who I am, more grounded in who I am, right? So it's about our relationship, examining that. And with young people in our lives, asking those questions too, right? Because if I'm following, you know, I don't know, I'm a joke and say to some bodybuilder, and I'm like, man, every time I look at him, I'm like, oh, you need to get into jail. Like, it makes me feel worse, right? <laughs> instead of making me feel motivated. Somebody, if I feel worse instead of motivated, maybe I need to unfollow that person, right? right. Maybe I need to follow somebody who makes me feel motivated and like to honor wherever I am and to go to make my own goals, you know? Sure. I think it's important to examine that. Okay. So um, obviously, you have a lot of uh, insightful things to offer people. Um, tell us about Beam's second annual summit with actress Debbie Allen as the keynote speaker. What can folks expect? Yes, I'm excited. So this weekend, Black Healing Remixed is going down. Um, and Black Healing Remix is our mental health and healing summit. We call it a mental health conference with a little more base. <laughs> and so our, the whole concept of Black Healing Remixed is saying, we are taking mental health and healing and we remixing it and making it our own, right? Mm -hmm. Just like you think about a remix when you hear a different trouble, a different bass, like, you know, a different, like that's exactly what we're doing with mental health. Mm -hmm. And so this year um, we're doing a virtual and an in-person component, right? Cause um, you know, of course we've tried to be mindful as we slowly transition out of COVID-19, right? Um, and so the, what happens on the um, first day is we have these amazing workshops as well as these amazing experiences, right? So we have guided meditations. Like if you want to come through, do guided meditations, all led by Black folks, right? Actually, the founder of Black Boys Home, which is like a national organization that uh, works with Black men and boys around yoga. He's actually leading the guided meditation, Danny Fluker. And then we have sound baths. People ever know did sound baths? You might people see that you have an opportunity to come there, get your experience. So you can get, have these dynamic healing experiences. You also can come to these workshops to learn some really powerful things, right? So we have a workshop led by Dr. Alan Lipscomb, where he's going to tell you about how do we support our Black family members living with schizophrenia. Here's some things you need to know, 
right? And here's a black man who has been doing this work with black folks with schizophrenia for years. And he's here to train us and teach people. He said, hey, you may not be a therapist, but here's some things you can know about how to support folks, right? So we have those kind of workshops and experiences happening. Um, we have a performance, we have performances and poetry. And then our second day, which is that you mentioned a little bit about this earlier, our second day is our in-person event, which also will be broadcasted. And um, we have a really great panel on masculinity and mental health in the entertainment industry. We have Emil Wilbekin, who's like the former um, managing editor of Vibe and Essence. So he has a lot of knowledge to bring in there, talk about those connections a lot across time around masculinity and mental health. How we were talking about it 10 years ago, not the same as today, right? right. So we have him and a lot of amazing folks. And then we have Miss um, Debbie Allen, who's our keynote. And we're really thrilled about Miss Debbie Allen because not only is she an iconic figure in Black communities, but she also has always held this space to understand the dance and body movement as a wellness and healing practice, right? As a choreographer, as the founder of the Debbie Allen's Dance Academy, right? Like, you know, like she holds that space. And in addition to that, through her work as a director from Different World to Grey's Anatomy, she has always spearheaded these really critical conversations around mental health and wellness, whether it was around dating culture, around substance use, all those things in her work. So we're really excited to um, have a conversation with her and her really kind of offer us some wisdom and gems. And so that's what Black Healing Remix is. It's really about taking those conversations, having fun, interaction, dialogue, getting connection to healing. Everybody who registers, Gets a self-care gift set mailed to you. It's pretty dope. We got a mental health workbook in it. It has also um, a foot soap. We have body souffles. We got some candles in there. A lot of great things donated by Black-owned businesses. So if you want to register, register. It'll get sent in the mail to you. Um, but that's what Black Healing Remix is. It's just an opportunity for us to bring together community, for us to come together to have conversations about healing, about wellness, learn some tools, learn maybe experience something different, but also have conversation in community. So um, tickets are, we have freedom pricing. So we have free tickets, donation-based tickets and full price tickets. We don't want anybody not to be able to miss it. So if you if you like, I got no money, that's all right. We got you. Come on through, get a free self-care gift set. We got you. Um, so let's do this. Let's drop the... Uh the information on how folks can register, you know, show up at websites. And then of course, before we let you go, I, I'd like for you to drop all your social media as well, just so folks can keep up with you personally. If, if yeah. you like. Yeah, absolutely. I would love that. So to um, register for the conference, just go to remix.beam.community. Remix.beam.community. People often think there's a .com there. There's not a .com. We are a .community because we are about that life. We are about mm -hmm. community. Okay. <laughs> um, so you can go there and find your tickets, register. You can watch online. We recommend. We've been telling a lot of communities and families, like, hey, if you want to watch one of the panels, put it on your computer and watch it on AirPlay on your TV screen. Get some of your friends around. Just have, have a conversation about what you watch, you know? Um, and then you can follow me on Instagram at Yolo Akili. Y-O-L-O-A-K-I-L-I. -L -L -I. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on all the things. And I'd love to connect. Well, I appreciate your time today, sir. This has been a wonderful conversation uh, and just an absolute joy. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. It's been Absolutely. great to connect. Our guest has been Yolo Akili Robinson, the award-winning writer, healing justice worker, yogi, and the founder and executive director of Being. And before I let you go, I'll leave you with this. The most precious thing we have is our lives, our beating hearts and our thinking minds. Perhaps this is the reason the topic of mental health can be so jarring and confusing. 
Sometimes our minds are trying to think about themselves and our hearts are feeling things from which they cannot escape. The truth, however, is that there is a way out of this cycle, this vicious yet normal cycle. Using the services of institutions like Beam can help us find our way through the problems that we may not even know exist. If we know that we aren't feeling 100%, there's probably something we can do about it for ourselves and for each other. Mistakes can trouble us. However, nobody is simply the worst thing they've ever done. Failures can cloud our sense of self-worth. However, no one should be defined by their biggest failing. During a profound sadness, it's hard for some people to see beyond their tears. But by studying the signs of mental health issues, we may just end up saving the life of our friend, our family member, or maybe even ourselves. This has been a production of the Black Information Network. Today's show was produced by Chris Thompson. Have some thoughts you'd like to share? Use the red microphone talkback feature on the iHeartMedia app. While you're there, be sure to hit subscribe and download all of our episodes. Follow us on all social media at Our Daily Story Podcast. I am your host, Ramses Ja. Join us tomorrow as we share our news with our voice from our perspective, right here on Our Daily Story. And now some bonus content that we like to call The Producer's Perspective by Chris Thompson. Weigh in for me about Will Smith. I mean, there's so much controversy as to whether that was just a response from a male perspective or his his emotional status. What do you think is going on with him, you know, just from an outside looking in? And is there is there a tunnel that he can go down and get out of this cloud he's under? Because some people saying it's emotional, some people saying it's mental, stress of a marriage. What, uh, as someone who heals, how do you feel uh, what he's going through and, and how can he get out of where he is? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's definitely been something that's been coming up in our men's groups a lot, as you might imagine, right? <laughs> a lot of conversation. Um, the first piece I will say is that most of us know what it's like to have an experience where someone says or does something that awakens an intense emotion in us. And from that intense emotion, we engage in a behavior that we normally would not feel was in alignment with our values, right? In those instances, when those feelings are awakened within us and we engage in that behavior, um, it's often those feelings are connected to a variety of different experiences. Sometimes they can be from the past. Sometimes they can be connected to our trauma we've experienced, right? Um, in this instance, we don't know, or I don't know, the nature of what led to that in that response. We don't, I don't know what, what experiences Will has had with Chris, um, what experiences Jada has had with Chris that were so elevating and so um, activating for Will in that moment that he could no longer, um, he, he chose to engage in that behavior, right? I don't know that piece, but I do know after working with men and boys that a lot of times when, when someone does show up in that way, it's because this is connected to something. This is connected to something else I've experienced. This is connected to a history of a behavior, our history of being harmed, our history of disrespect. And now I've gotten to the point where, because maybe I haven't processed it, maybe I haven't had the opportunity to move through it. I'm just so, it's so much in my body that I just react viscerally and then I'm in that way, right? 
So I, so I think that's important to name that like there's a context operating here that like, you know, and my work is very clear. We don't know what happened, what the history of that is and the duress that Will and Jada are under for that that led to that response, right? That's important to name, right? Um, and so I, I, think, I, I think that's, that's the, and from a mental health perspective, that's the first piece I go to. And I think that like, um, as someone who also read Will Smith's biography, which was a brilliant book, he does talk a lot about, you know, feeling like he historically hadn't been able to show up for the women and defend the women in his life. That's something he explicitly details in that book. And so when I think about that book and like, you know, he talks about his mother um, being abused by his father and him being so young. He was like, I think he might've been eight years old, don't quote me, but he was very young when that happened. But like many children who experience what, witnessing their mother being abused, particularly male children, he felt responsible that he could have done something. When we know that as a, he couldn't have done anything, right? As a grown man, he's a little child, right? And so sometimes those kind of experiences of witnessing that harm happen to women in his life, and then seeing, and then, and then in this moment, we have another situation where this, this has happened and, and, and a part of his body is like, no, part of his energy is being, that trauma is being awakened. It's like, no, I'm going to prevent this from happening, right? That could be a big part of what happened. Now, the choice to slap Chris as opposed to a different kind of confrontation, you know, that once again is something um, likely about the activation, likely about the ways in which um, that he was so activated that maybe he made a different choice that he would have made if he was more regulated in that moment, right? So I think we have to look at it with all those layers, like and, and look at and look at that with ourselves. We've all acted out in a moment, Chris. I'm sure you have, Ramsey John. I'm sure we all acted out in a moment where we were like, "What was I thinking? Oh, I was so active. How did I show? Why did I show up like that? Why did I say that? Right?" And often we when we dig back, we're like, "Oh, that's connected to something else." Will is a human being just like all of us. And just like we didn't needed grace in that moment where we showed up in a way in our behavior that we know was not in our values, Will deserves grace as well. Um, I think that's really important to name. It's not, grace is not the same thing as an excuse. Let's make sure that's very clear, right? Excuse and grace are not the same thing. Grace is understanding the context of how we got here. Excusing is saying like, we're gonna minimize that, 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 that this happened. We're not minimizing that this was a, a behavior that cannot happen again. But we're honoring that, that there's a there's a there's something that got us here that we need to unravel and heal so that we don't get here again. That's amazing. Thank you for that. And I I completely agree with you. Um, and I, I wish him well. I, I hope that uh, things turn out better for him, for sure. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you. And how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. I got a big heart, and I'm very forgiving, but, like, don't abuse it. It's been abused enough. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. 
Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.